Good morning. Extending greetings to you in Jesus' precious name. Familiar Sunday school lesson. I remember being impressed with that story. Uh, them two mothers bringing their child to uh, Solomon. And, and the answer that he gave them, I remember just a challenging concept that, you know, well, where did that wisdom come from? And to realize that we serve that same God today and appreciate the song selection that Justin had too. Uh, you know, that, uh, it's impressive to realize that we have at our fingertips <laughs> the source of all wisdom. Uh, God is certainly a great God and uh, fits along with what I want to look at this morning. I've been looking at seven important marks in time. And that's some of the reason why we, why we look at these marks in time is that they're preserved and, and uh, given to us so that we can learn from those experiences. And uh, this morning I want to look at the fourth one of them. Uh, just to do a bit of review, I looked at creation. Uh, and I said the understanding the biblical account of creation is the key to a, a healthy Christian experience. That's very foundational. Secondly, we looked at corruption, where was corruption conflict, and that was... Uh, the fall in the Garden of Eden, and that's important that we understand what took place there. Life is, the lesson I wanted you to remember is, life is too big for you and I to simply handle it alone. We need God to help us go through. Last, the last, uh, third one, the last time I looked at was the catastrophe of the flood. And the lesson I wanted you to remember was the accountability that we have to answer to God, how we've lived the life that he has given to us. And this morning we're at the fourth one, and that's the confusion, the story of the Torah of Babel. And I realize there's perhaps different pronunciations of that. I, I've always known it as the Tower of Babel. And so that's the way I'm going to refer to it this morning. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter uh, 11. I'd like to uh, read that account, our text is verses, uh, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. And the lesson I want you to remember this morning is that leaving God out of the picture leads to confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. But when we leave God out of the picture of life, it leads to nothing short of confusion. And that's the lesson we have here in our, our text here this morning in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down there and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and... From thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. <clears throat> Looking at verse 1, one language, one speech. Uh, anyone want to venture a guess how many different languages there are in the world today? Six thousand? You're getting close. 
there's an estimated 6,900 languages, different languages, perhaps. Now, there are language groups. Uh, people that linguistics have told us that there are certain different language groups. Uh, but 6,900 different languages that are spoken in the world today. Uh, they say that can be broken down into perhaps anywhere from 70 to 100 different language groups, that there would be some similarity that, you know, dialects that sprung out from different language groups. Communication. And, uh, you know, they sometimes say the expression today is communication is king. And we have information technology people that, uh, you know, that's their aspect. Communicating information. Laverne mentioned it in the Sunday School lesson, that of, of Googling things. And that's what makes uh, information and communi communication so uh, foremost, uh, you know, the idea of being able to communicate it and in communicate it instantly and accurately. Uh, I guess that accuracy could be debated sometimes, but, uh, uh, you know, I had to think about communication. I thought it back in my life experience. I thought of two uh, frustrations that would go back here to this account here in Genesis 11. I, I remember when uh, Darla and Dan's dad, my brother-in-law, we were traveling in Guatemala. We were it was when the earthquake was, that was probably, must have been 70s, mid-70s there at Shemaltenunga. We were down there to clean up for one week, and then we were going up to the Eastern Mission in Varsovia to help put uh, kitchen cabinets in Frank Martin's house. And so we, just him and I, were traveling by ourselves from uh, Shemaltenunga up to Varsovia. And we knew there was a bus line, the Rudus Lima bus line, took us to Varsovia. And so we were waiting out on the road for this bus, and there's a Rudus Lima bus. We knew what it looked like, but it didn't come, it didn't come, it didn't come. And we wanted a first-class bus, first of all, which is a little more like our charter buses here rather than the, the uh, I don't know what the other buses are called in Guatemala. But... Okay. <laughs> like old school buses, anyway. And they got racks up top with people on top, too, sometimes. But anyway, so we wanted a first-class bus. There was another bus came along. And we got tired of waiting, so we decided, okay, we told him, he stopped, he saw us waiting there, we told him we want to go to Varsovia, and he said, sure, come on, get on. He took our fare, and we climbed in, and then we told him where we wanted to go, and he kept going like this, like this, and finally we put it together, I think it was Ray, uh, Dan Darla's dad, so he's telling us, he's telling us he's just going partway there. Well, that was great, once we were on, <laughs> and... Uh, so when, as we were traveling then, we saw the Rudus Lima bus coming behind our bus, a bus we really wanted that we knew went right through Varsovia. And so we got to that exchange where the roads met or whatever, where the other bus went the other way and the Rudus Lima bus went to Varsovia. And uh, we said, okay, look, we've got to make a fast. He passed us going up through the mountain passes there. So we knew he was going to get there first, the Rudus Lima bus. And so we knew that we had to get there before he took off or we'd be stranded in the middle of nowhere in Guatemala, not able to talk Spanish or... Uh, but anyway, we did make that connection in the process. I did lose one of my suitcases but uh, in the haste to get off the bus, but uh, we did recover that, fortunately. So that was one incident that, uh, you know, I think back, and as I thought about that, I thought about, you know, how simple, uh, you know, that would have been if we could have communicated. You know, he could have told us, well, hey, the Rudus Lima bus is behind me. You know, wait to get on there. Or, hey, we'll make sure you get to this connection on time. But there was just that limited communication skill. The second thing, incident I thought of was uh, when uh, Loss and I and Stans and Beth were over in Switzerland. Uh, we rented a chalet there in central Switzerland that was... Uh, German speaking, and I, I couldn't talk, none of us could talk German, and so our hosts were there, they opened the house up for us and stuff, and they were telling us what to do with our, our dirty laundry, uh, I mean, we put that together after a while, 
Uh, she was taking us to the closet there, and she showed us, and she was telling us something, and we could not get what she was trying to tell us until she used the word schmutzy. <laughs> and then I remember my Pennsylvania Dutch background, and my dad often used that word. Schmutzy means dirty, greasy, or whatever. Is that right? Is there a Dutch word for that? I said something to somebody else since, and they said, well, they, he had a little different accent to it. But anyway, I put that together. I said, oh, you mean our dirty linens and stuff. And then we, of course, she made connection with that, too. And we, uh, but, you know, that was some of the frustration. You think of the frustrations in, in, in communication. Even when we talk the same language, sometimes it can be frustrating. We're thinking one thing, and we're saying something different, and somebody can take it totally out of its context. Communication. All because of, of mankind's experience here in Genesis chapter 11. One of the things I, I thought about as I thought about this experience here in Genesis 11, does God bring judgment on mankind for not worshiping him? Uh, you know, in the, uh, in the two biblical recorded judgments here, you know, we looked the last time at the flood, God brought uh, judgment on mankind because they're wickedness and evil was and their imagination was was totally given to that let me just go back to that i'm not saying that quite correct verse 5 in genesis 6 and god saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually god brought judgment because of that so they weren't god necessarily didn't bring judgment in the, in the he brought it in the flood, but here in the Tower of Babel, uh, they had left off somewhat worshiping God. They were egotistical, I guess you'd say, and, and their aspirations were to build a tower which, whose top may reach into heaven. Let us make us a name. It seems like their, their vision was focused inwardly. Uh, it seems that as mankind forgets God or replaces him with perhaps other gods... Uh, man would is prone to self-destruct, and I want to just—I want you to think about that just for a little bit. Uh, so, in some ways, as God brought the judgment at the Tower of Babel here through the confounding of their language or the confusing of their language, it was an act of of mercy, perhaps. If you look at Romans chapter three, now remember what I said: man, in given to his evil. Uh, imaginations continuously as it was there in Genesis 6 and as we see them seemingly progressing. And I want to mention too that the, the time period from the creation to the flood was about 1,600 years. But the time period from the flood to the Tower of Babel is, we're not exactly sure on the time there. If you go back to chapter 10, it does mention uh, in verse 25, and under it lists the generations of Noah here, in verse 25, another Eber were born two sons, namely one is Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And it tells us there that probably that scholars would make that assumption that it was probably during his lifetime somewhere that that Tower of Babel experience took place. So we could come relatively close, maybe 100 to 300 years after the flood, that this Tower of Babel experience uh, event took place. So that is not really very long if you stop and think about it from, if you think about as far as, uh, you know, from creation to the flood, 1600 years, and then you see man degressing away from God again in less than maybe, at the shortest, probably 100 years to maybe 300 years, turning away again from God. Now, getting back to my 
idea of man self-destructing. Uh, you know, that's, that's the nature of sin. Sin does bring self-destruction. Look at Romans chapter 3, and these are familiar verses, but breaking in at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And uh, I'll stop reading there. But that gives you a picture of, of man, I think, following his own evil heart. And it, it looks very destructive. I, I think we can make that conclusion from the Scripture that man will actually self-destruct himself if, if he follows his own ways. And uh, keep that in mind as you think about this experience here in Genesis chapter 11, that it, it was the grace of God that God came down and confounded their language to separate them rather than an act of judgment. We sometimes think, you know, in our carnal nature, we think, well, you know, how much easier it would be in this world today if we had one universal language. And uh, some people are suggesting that we, we are going back to one global economy. We, we are already there, probably. Uh, one global world. Now, we still have the different languages to deal with, but, uh, you know, that's fast disappearing too, probably. Whether it will completely or not, I'm not sure. Sin and evil are spread, or the ability to spread is increased uh, via global communications. Uh, and I don't think anybody can refute that. And that, I think, is, is what God saw as he saw what was taking place here at in the plain of Shinar here as they were erecting, man was erecting this tar of Babel. It was the fact that the possibility that sin and evil would spread. And looking back at the flood, you know, God could have, God could have, brought other ways, uh, and I guess I'm impressed with, with God, uh, who he is, that he used that avenue to straighten man out, if that's the way to use it. I mean, he could have brought fire down and destroyed that tar. Uh, he could have done any one of, he already had, he had already given the covenant of not destroying the earth with a flood, so they had that reminder that there would not be another flood, but God could have brought it. A powerful whirlwind to just take that tar away. Uh, but he brought a, a, a unique, you think of the wisdom of God, he brought a unique way of, of confounding them with their language. I mean, you think about that for a little bit. Suppose we got together here some Sunday morning and none of us would be able to communicate. I mean, we talk English, and that's sometimes difficult enough, but you know, and we use hand motions. I mean, we did that in Switzerland, and that works to a degree, but I'd hate to leave you. See, you go home with just hand motions. The preacher did this. The preacher did this. It must have been good. <laughs> well, sin and evil are spread, or the ability to spread is, is, is definitely was a threat there, I believe, at the Tower of Babel. And I believe God saw that. Looking at verses 3 and 4, their aspirations, and they said one to another, let us go, let us make brick, let's burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, slime had they for mortar, and they said, go. Now, verse 4 is the key, I think, to really seeing into the, the aspirations of their heart. Whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And that was not, remember, 
Remember last time I talked, I said God actually gave Noah and his sons the same commission that he gave Adam and Eve, ever to, to be fruitful and multiply and, and, and uh, spread throughout the world. And it seems like that uh, seems to be a, a problem for these people here. They, they said, lest we be scattered upon the face of the, old, the whole earth. And uh, God wanted them to populate the, uh, the earth. Well, why, why build a city or a tower? Um, I, I don't know. I know human nature enough to know maybe what some of their... I'm not exactly sure why a city or a tar. I mean, anybody ever have an aspiration to build a city or a tar? I, I never have. I'd rather live in the country for one. Uh, build a tar? I never really had an aspiration to build a tar. I had a tree house for the children. That's as high as I've gotten off the ground, I guess, but... Uh, um, was it the fear of flood? I, I don't think so. Uh, we're not exactly sure where this tar was exactly. Bible archaeologists perhaps would, and they may not be 100% agreed on this. I think maybe perhaps in the uh, between the Euphrates and the uh, Tigris River. And some of their thinking was, they said, well, if there was a flood issue, why would they build on a plain? Why wouldn't they went to Mount Ararat where the ark rested and built the tar there? You know, because they already knew that the flood was was at 20 cubits above the highest level. I don't know if Mount Ararat would have been the highest mountain at that point or not. I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, you know, why would they build on the plain if they were thinking flood? I don't know. I rather believe to think that it was probably their idea of, of keeping people close and uh, rather than uh, spreading them in a name. Uh, it seems like they're, they're seeking to replace God with something else. Uh, or perhaps another way to maybe reach out to God, uh, an aspiration to get closer to Him. Uh, one of the things we do notice is that, and I, I mentioned about humanity, humanity has a re reoccurring problem of, of hiding evil intentions behind religion. Okay, we, we know that's a fact today. That's with us today. Uh, carnal man has, the, has a reoccurring problem of hiding uh, evil intentions behind religion. And I, I thought of Saul. Uh, who in the Old Testament, uh, you know, he, he, failing, he failed to obey God in destroying all the Amalekites and uh, saved the best of the sacrifices. Well, how high was this tar? Higher than the one in Dubai, Mark? <laughs> Today, I think that's the highest known tar. You know what that height is? I think it's 2,722 feet, I think, uh, about a half a mile high. And uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how high it was, how high they actually got this tar. There was some interesting information, uh, you know, that mentions what their material was there. It says they, uh, they had brick, and I'm assuming it was probably dirt brick, uh, perhaps with straw in it, perhaps. Uh, you know, the Egyptians did that, and they had slime for mortar. There's a man by the name of Dr. Hobbs said he did a little research and he, he began to examine, you know, okay, what would be the test strength of these, this clay brick that was, you know, you know he was really uh, putting it together and he didn't know, of course, their size and stuff, but he did some test strength and he uh, calculated out that it would, if it was baked, it, it would increase its test strength by seven and a half times. So that's significant uh, as far as its crushing ability. And we do know from facts, archaeologists have just unco uncovered numerous pyramids. Well, there's their pyramids in Egypt too, but the pyramid 
structure, type of structure you can uh, you can uh, build higher than just a, a vertical structure. And uh, so he's saying, he concluded, he said that if they had used a pyramid-style type of structure, which he seems would seem likely at that era, that uh, the, the crushing, uh, the potential could have reached up to uh, perhaps ni- almost 9,000 feet. Uh, now, that's, that's almost two miles high. Whether they got it that high or not, I would rather doubt it. Uh, but uh, that was kind of challenging as you think about that, that that something so primitive uh, could have had that kind of strength that they could have built it uh, perhaps two miles high. Again, I would doubt whether they, they actually got it that high, perhaps 9,000 feet. One of the other things I've noticed here in our account, in this text here, is, is the interest that God has in man's activity. I don't know if you caught that or not, but you know, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. Did God actually come down and, and walk among the workmen that day? I don't know if he did or not. If he did, I, I can only imagine probably them people communicating, you know, he who was that stranger? And maybe he was in disguise. I don't know. Maybe he looked like just a normal worker. I'm not sure. But uh, whether God actually came down and, uh, and walked, we know that God uh, presented himself to Moses in a burning bush. And we believe that was Christ that met Joshua as he was there by the city of Jericho. So I believe God could have came down in a, the form of a man, perhaps, and, and observed. I, I was just challenged with that thought. And even if God did not vis- visibly come down and, and walk among the uh, activities of the building of the Tower of Babel. God knew what was going on. He caught God's attention. And that's a challenge to me as I think about how interested God is in the activities of our lives, personally, each one of us. Uh, God knows what each one of us are doing on any given day. Uh, Have you ever thought about God visiting your house? Have you ever thought about God visiting Prairie Mennonite Church? Have you ever thought about God visiting your business or your farm? Those were just some of the thoughts that went through my mind. I I know God has visited my farm. Uh, That's a new thought to you. But sometime between May 1st, when I put that seed of corn in the ground, and we've been chopping this week, and today God visited my farm. I mean, that corn is probably some of the tallest corn I've ever grown. It's not anything really that I have done. I contributed to it perhaps, but I'd like to give the Lord all of the credit, all of the credit. Uh, it's impressive. Uh, so God is, is given us the seed time and harvest, and uh, I want him to have the glory. God visiting in our homes, in our farms, in our businesses. Uh, God is interested in the details of our lives. And I trust that as he visits in our homes and our lives that there are things that that are pleasing to him, not as in our example here, that God is concerned what direction we're going. Looking at verses 6 and 7 and 8, the Lord said, Behold, the people was one. They have all one language. They begin to do, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which have they have imagined. Go to, let us go down and confound their language. Uh, I Again, I had to wonder, what was that like? You know, Was it an overnight thing? They went to bed one night all talking 
Arabic or Hebrew, perhaps, I don't know. Woke up the next morning, <laughs> some talking German or English, uh, or some dialect. I think it's so interesting. In Genesis, Ken Ham has a, a, a diagram showing how even the old English has has uh, evolved over the years, and uh, you know that's challenging. Uh, he quoted, uh, he had it displayed in uh, in the Lord's Prayer, the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, "Our Father which art in heaven," and showing the different. Uh, uh, generations of English language, how that actually looked and sounded. Were there good friends, best friends, families separated in this process? I'm not exactly sure. Um, there is, it, history tells us, or uh, researchers tell us perhaps also, that there, there are derivatives from the names of Noah's families and descendants throughout all of the whole earth in, in, different, uh, in different languages. And uh, that again comes back here to, uh, to Genesis 11, the experience as you think of the names that were used here. That origin of names can be traced back to the children of, of Noah. I can only imagine the frustration, you know, there they were, they had a goal, they had a vision, they had an aspiration to build this tower, and the frustration that the discommunication, the lack of communication that that presented, you know, one man ordering up another skid of breaks, bricks perhaps, and you know, what comes but nothing but uh, something uh, totally the opposite of what he wanted, and uh, you know, that's just my imagination running. Uh, thinking what, what all could have transpired. And, uh, you know, finally God knew what was best, and, and it says they left off in verse 8. They left off building that city. And, uh, well, this lesson is preserved so that we could develop God consciousness, and I, I wanted to mention that in the own start uh, as we think of living in God consciousness today. You know, uh, it's easy to be preoccupied with our vocations. Uh, we have everything we need at our fingertips, perhaps. But yet to be, uh, to develop a God consciousness is something that we cannot avoid. We cannot, we should not be without. And uh, there are four things that I think, lessons that I want to remind us. Remember I said the lesson I want you to take home is leaving God out of the picture leads to confusion. And the remedy for that is, is to develop a God consciousness. Uh, four things that I want you to remember as we think of, of uh, building or developing God consciousness. First one is, I think we need to focus on building an altar rather than a tar. Uh, Noah did that after he left the ark. The first thing he did, he built an altar unto the Lord. We know that less 100 to 300 years later, Where's the altar at? But they're building something greater, a tar. It could be that their aspirations were to have an altar on the top of that tar. I don't know. I'm not, but it was something that evidently God felt it needed to be addressed. Chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, we see Noah building an altar. That's where our focus needs to be, building an altar unto the Lord so that we can develop communication with him. And that's my second point. You know, we think uh, communications is, is paramount so that we can communicate verbally to each other. And that's important. That's good. But uh, I think we need to focus in developing communication with God. We need to read. We need to meditate. We need to pray. 
We need to listen for God uh, to speak to us. God is a, a God that, well, he's personal. I mean, we, we notice that here. You know, God is, is seeing and looking into the lives, each of our lives, and he knows what's taking place, our troubles, our problems. Uh, God wants to communicate with, with us through his word, uh, through the many avenues that we have available to us, uh, study guides, whatever, meditate, pray, and listen. Uh, so many times we forget to listen for God's answer. We ask for answers, and then we forget to listen for those answers. Thirdly, I think we need to exercise this. Uh, we need to do eye exercises before I, I, uh, I succumb to wearing glasses. My wife had gotten me an eye exercise program that was supposed to... I wouldn't have to use glasses. Well, I, I never did the exercises, and uh, consequently, I'm, I don't know if it would have worked or not. But uh, from a spiritual lesson, we need to do eye exercises that strengthen the eyes of faith. You know, that's what, that's what Noah was rewarded for. It was his eyes of faith. Nobody had ever built an ark before, but Noah, uh, through the eyes of faith, followed God's commandments completely, and it, it was for the saving of his, his family. We need to do eye exercises that strengthen the eyes of faith. How do we do that? Well, I think sometimes uh, it's simply waiting on the Lord, and we do not have all the answers. We do not always see the end of the road, but God does. And it's, it's simply putting our faith and trust in Him. Do the eye exercises that strengthen the eyes of faith. We want the answers today, and we want it now. And we're in the information age and time in which we live, and we, we, we need to be able to access it. But... There's sometimes we need to just wait on the Lord and, and listen and by faith trust Him. Then the fourth thing is I think we need to be alert for God's visits, uh, the times that He comes to us and, and visits us personally. You know, there are, I'm looking at seven important marks in, in time, and I, I think there are times personally that we should be able to lay our finger on and say, that was God working in my life there at that event. I think that's true. I think there needs to be that experience for us. Uh, as we serve him, as we follow him, that we can, we can be alert for his visits to us when he comes to us and says that, you know, that was something special. Uh, it could be many and varied ways. Uh, maybe it's a child being born into the home. You know, that's precious, that's wonderful. God visits us through that event. Uh, I, another incident that relates to my vocation, I... Uh, and this has to do with cows, I'm sorry, but uh, that's my vocation. Uh, we were gone uh, earlier this year, and uh, there was a cow that was fresh, was not doing well, and I had I was gone, so Darren had to leave. We had the vet. I, said, I was leaving, I think. I said, you're going to have to have the vet check that cow. And so he sliced her open, and we thought it was a displaced uh, DA, displaced aptamazement, which is a, a stomach gets over in the wrong place, and so they can't eat digest her food and they'll go off feed and die but it is can be remedied so the vet was out and he cut her open and uh, unfortunately when he after he had already medicated her and had her open there he reached in and he said well I, I can't get it pulled back over he said there's some adhesions there in the body wall and he I can't get it back over so he stitched her back up and he said there's probably not a lot we can do but hope for the best and so we stitched her back up and and uh, again, this is where I, I marvel at her every time she comes through the parlor. She she was a little slow at taking off, but she started eating and she kept on going. And she, I think last test she was milking like 90, 90-some 90 pounds. 
And uh, I had to look at her later, and he tapped her with his stethoscope, and he said, there's still some air pockets in there. So he, he can't explain it. I can't explain it. But she's good, and she's healthy. And, uh, you know, that to me, that's a miracle. Uh, that's God. God knows what took place inside her there. Uh, he, the vet says she's probably still displaced, but she's eating, producing milk, healthy, looks good. Uh, I, I'm just amazed. And, uh, you know, that's just one small thing. But that, to me, is a visit from God. Uh, you can think of other personal experiences in your life. But uh, review, build an altar, not a tar. Develop communications with God. Read, meditate, pray, and listen. Thirdly, remember to use your do-the-eye exercises. I didn't. I'm wearing glasses today. Uh, but do-eye exercises that strengthen your faith. And then also, fourthly, be alert for God's visits in a very practical way. Our God is a practical God, and uh, He's interested in the small things in life that relate to us. And uh, it's for His glory, for His honor, and that's why I share what I share this morning.